Welcome to episode four of Design Discipline. My name is Mehmet Aydan Baytash. I'm a scholar of design. In other words, I am a design researcher. I've been one for around 10 years now. And my purpose in this episode is to provide to you clarity about design research. This clarity is difficult to get because design research means different things based on who you're talking to. The kind of research a freelancer does for a commissioned project will be different from what is done for a thesis at the university. And there are a lot of things that you can read and watch and listen to about design research that explain any one of these perspectives. So academics write about their own flavor of research, tech companies have their own version of what research means and so on. And I will talk about a model that clarifies all of these differences. This clarity is important to have for two reasons. First, if you transition between different worlds, maybe from the academic world to commercial work, like graduating from the university and going into a job, or vice versa, going back to an academic environment from a job, this is the model that you need to make sense of things and to transfer your skills between the worlds. The second reason is communication and collaboration. There are situations where people with different ideas for what design research means have to work together, and a lot of difficulties, even arguments, can arise in these situations. If you're creating for a client, the challenge might be to find the words to explain the resource gathering and analysis, the brain work that goes into a design project. If you come together around the same table in a group that includes, for example, corporate types and people with academic backgrounds, discussing design research between people people with different mental models can feel like you're from completely different planets. So we'll talk about how to get over this. Finally, if you're a student or a scholar of design at any level, this is the model that you really must know. This is the foundation, the essence of design research you really have to understand. And unfortunately, they don't always teach this model. So because of this, I had a lot of trouble in my career with making sense of things. And this was the model that was my breakthrough. I use this idea now in every single project that I'm involved in. It gives me structure and it gives me confidence. And now I will explain it to you. So if any of this speaks to you, and if you haven't done so already, you should subscribe to Design Discipline. I will continue to cover ideas like this that have been massively helpful to my work in design and design research. Most of these are ideas that I didn't know about when I started. I'm actually realizing now that I didn't know anything about design research when I began doing it. I was an engineer, I could build things, but I didn't fully understand the purpose of design research. I just knew that it looked cool, but I didn't know for whom it creates value and what it's supposed to deliver. And I certainly didn't see the whole spectrum of activities involved. And the challenge is that a single exact definition of design research does not exist. There's a rich variety of perspectives on what it can mean. For example, I do academic research on user experience design and my girlfriend is a UX design researcher at a car company. And even though we use the same label that is design research to describe the jobs that we do, there's almost no resemblance in the way that we work. There's very little in common when it comes to how we spend our time and what deliverables we produce. And this alone is fascinating. Like, how can two people have the same job title and be doing completely different jobs? But that's only the surface. 
because even people on the same team can have different mental models of design research. At the university, I sometimes end up in very intense debates with colleagues at my department about what kinds of activities and competences we should focus on and what matters and what counts in our work. So even people whose job it is to understand and do design research don't always agree on what it exactly means and what it must deliver. And this chaos is a challenge for everyone involved. But in what looks like complete chaos, there is actually structure. And it's important to have the words to reason and talk about this structure. And to get clarity on this structure, what pays off is to ask the right questions and to look for the right format of answers. So instead of asking, what exactly is design research? And trying to come up with a single answer that says, this is design research and this is how it's done. It's more productive to ask, what are the different kinds of design research? What is a list of options for what it could mean? For me, it was a life-changing moment when I realized that it is actually possible to find a finite menu for what kinds of design research there are and what standards apply in each case. And this is a menu of three choices that comes from a particular resource, a particular paper that explains what they are. And finding this for me was a moment of true enlightenment. After going through hundreds of other books and papers that didn't make any sense because I didn't understand this one basic idea. The paper that I'd like to talk about is titled Research in Art and Design. It was published in 1993, written by Sir Christopher Frayling, who was a very interesting person. He's a professor at the Royal College of Art in London. He has studied and written about many topics like film, literature, history, and education, and he holds a knighthood for services to art and design education, hence Sir Christopher Frayling. So this guy is like literally a hero of design education. And in this paper from 1993, Research in Art and Design, he breaks down the questions that I was pondering. What are some things that design research must deliver? What counts as good design research? And when people like an academic and a freelancer and a corporate manager are talking about design research, what are the different models that they have in their heads? To answer all of this begins with understanding three categories of things that we might be talking about when we say design research. And these are research for design, research into design, and research through design. So here's my take on these which is based on Frayling's categorization, but also incorporates some of my own experiences. Number one, research for design. When we're talking about research outside of universities and corporations in the context of commercial product design, most probably this is what we're talking about. Research for design essentially is what designers do when they are gathering information to guide design decisions. In Frayling's words, this is the gathering of reference materials. This is a process where the end product is an artifact. It's a thing that you're designing. So the goal is not to write a research paper, although that can be done. There's a lot of academic research for design, and I've done some of this myself. But the purpose in all kinds of research for design is always to culminate in a design itself in the form of a product. This is the knowledge finding and analysis you would do in order to make sure, based on evidence, that you're building the right thing. You're designing with purpose. This is your user interviews and benchmarking and mood boards and all of those other things that you would do before working on the form of the product. So research for design is the design research you do for the purpose of designing. 
And this is indispensable in design work. I would actually argue that if you're not doing this research, then you're not even doing design. You're just making pictures or making models or prototypes. Now, in the way that Frayling talks about it, research for design is done by designers themselves. It's the designer that goes out and gathers information and insights and things that guide the product design. But he was writing in 1993, and a lot has happened since then. We have disciplines like UX design, business design, and service design, and so on, where articulating research for design is actually a big part of the job. There are now a lot of places in both academic and commercial work where research for design itself can be presented without necessarily having a design artifact. In fact, designers today are working on systems that are so complex that this is how design teams work. So some people have as their only job to go and do the research for design and then to communicate this with another group of people who execute their findings into actual products. So this is exactly the kind of design research that my girlfriend does at the car company with the purpose of de-risking their products before they go to market. And the eventual product is so complex that the researchers cannot work directly on it. They have to use different kinds of documents which channel their findings to other people in the company who build them into products. And speaking of risk, there are certain errors that I see frequently made by designers and researchers in research for design, and I should warn you against these before we move on. The first is that it is easy to lose sight of design, to lose sight of the actual product when you turn your focus to research. This is very common in academic research. A lot of my students and colleagues at the university go into the rabbit hole of philosophical questions and experiments, and they find themselves staring at results with no relation to actual product design in the end. They might do research, for instance, on the habits and opinions of people around certain products, but they are not able to extract insights that clearly inform how to improve or create products. Now, what they have done is interesting work. It's actually valid. It is valuable. It is legitimate research. But not all research is design research. So it should be framed correctly, maybe as computer science research or psychology research. It is important to be oriented towards insights that will inform product design if you're doing research for design. The second error is to be fixated on certain methods, and everyone has their favorite methods. My girlfriend's team does a lot of user studies where they bring people in to sit in the actual car. Another friend who's a business designer does certain kinds of workshops with a lot of post-its. My students gravitate to a lot of interviews with potential users in their design projects. So all of these are actually legitimate research methods. They are not wrong. But there are things that you can do which are more lightweight. You could just sit on the side of the road and observe people in their cars and take notes. You could just call up the people that you know and try to get some insights instead of setting up this elaborate user study. And you can spend your time reading articles and books and you can synthesize a lot of answers from the research that is already out there. So as you might understand, I am skeptical about very rigorous methodical studies in the context of design research. Don't get me wrong, I have studied and used these methods. I know that these have their use and their place, certainly. But here's my argument. When you turn your attention to being very formal about your research, you turn your attention away from design. Good research for design is efficient. 
It gives you answers about what you should design. So the error is to overinvest your time into very careful research at the expense of time doing the actual design or communicating your results properly in a well-crafted fashion. If you're doing research for design, there must be design that is happening in the end, which you are doing the research for. If no one designs anything based on your research, then there's no point in it. And this brings me to the third error that I see, which is to skimp on designing communication and reporting. I strongly believe in the idea that reporting of design research must itself be well-designed. It must deploy skills like writing and graphic design and even video making. Efficiency is the most important thing in research for design. And the most important way in which efficiency is manifested is how quickly your audience understands your research. These three errors are the reason why the very concept of research is often discounted in a lot of business settings. I hear a lot of people complain that their managers don't see the relevance of research and there's too little investment into these activities. But I believe that a lot of the responsibility falls on the researcher for being relevant and clear and efficient. I wouldn't say that this applies to all research everywhere, but in the case of design research, I really believe that this is true. So we can talk endlessly about these things, about methods and philosophies and even exceptions to some of the things that I've said, but I'd like to move on to number two, research into design. This is when design itself and designers themselves become a subject of research. So research into design is research about design. This is when you look at the design process and analyze the work of design. This could be from a lot of different perspectives, psychology, anthropology, education, history, philosophy, and this is usually academic research. But you can also expect that companies that create tools for designers like Figma or Adobe or Webflow, they actually do a lot of research into design. So there is this case where research for design and research into design are combined into one, where research into design informs products for designers. Research into design also plays a big role in creating educational materials. If you visit the Design Discipline bookstore on our website, you can find a lot of books on topics like typography or graphic design where the authors have done a lot of research into design, analyzing different works and histories and so on to write these educational books. And a lot of designers also compile and analyze materials from their own practice for the purpose of teaching and writing books. Some great examples are Josef Müller-Brockmann's Grid Systems and Michael Bierut's How To. There are also a lot of these books that belong in the business section on innovation and creativity and how to manage organizations that support these things. Tom Kelly, who is a partner at IDEO, which is perhaps the most successful design consultancy in the world, has written books like The Art of Innovation and The Ten Faces of Innovation. Kevin Ashton has published How to Fly a Horse about the psychological and sociological aspects of invention and creativity written in a very accessible fashion. It's easy to see how the work of these authors would qualify as research into design. And finally, the discourse that is produced by scholars on the philosophy of design actually fits in this category. Research into design comprises a large portion of the philosophical ideas in academic literature, and Freeling's paper is a great example. So research into design is when design is the subject rather than the purpose of research, and since research into design can be done for so many purposes, it's hard to give advice on how it should be done. It could be appropriate to do it in a quick and dirty fashion if you're building products for designers with the latest technology. 
But if you're an academic writing a philosophical book, then you might prefer to take your time. It all depends on your purpose. And purpose is an appropriate segue into our third category of design research, which is research through design. This is a little less obvious, maybe a little esoteric. It's more of an academic concept. And the reason is not necessarily that people don't do research through design and commercial work. In fact, they do a lot of it, but they don't use the same language to describe it. They don't call it research through design. But this is actually the essence of some very central concepts in modern product development, like prototyping and user studies. So research through design is basically using design and creating things as a tool or method for learning, for knowledge creation. In Freyling's words, this is taking a problem outside design and using design to address it. Taking design as a particular way of thinking and in a particular approach to knowledge, which helps you to understand certain things that exist outside design. So by doing design, we find out knowledge that would have been otherwise impossible to have if we didn't create these design artifacts in the first place. Now, when you try to describe it like this in one sentence, it sounds arcane talking about knowledge creation and all of that, but it's actually not so complicated. In Freyling's paper, he gives a few examples like materials research, where you experiment with fabrication or different colors and shapes and you document and analyze this, or customizing, repurposing your printer or photocopier, using your tools in unexpected ways to produce new kinds of designs. But a simple and I guess relatable example of research through design would be user studies, where you bring in various prototypes or inventions and people can touch and manipulate these things and provide thoughts and opinions. A lot of feedback and insights on new products are impossible to obtain without having the actual design at hand. If you're able to show something to people, rather than just tell them about it, you can get more relevant reactions and insights. And these would not be available without this artifact existing in the first place. I know this from my own research because I use different sensors and robotics that respond to the human body, the feeling of your movements, coupled to the digital response, the lag or latency, the mistakes that the computer can sometimes make, these are impossible to imagine without actually building and experimenting. The only way to experience an experience is to experience it. So research through design is when design and experience becomes a research method. This is when you have to create something new and real in order to answer a research question. In academic research, this is a whole world of designers slash scholars who are creating extremely cool things. This is the world that is home to very interesting genres of design like design fiction or speculative design. We will explore this world in future episodes. So you should subscribe to Design Discipline if you find any of this interesting. But before I stop talking about research through design, I have to leave you with a warning because in my experience, when I'm supervising student work, when I'm reviewing research papers, and sometimes even when I speak to professional researchers, I see that this concept is misunderstood and misused very often. Research through design is a very exciting prospect. This is pretty much the only school of research where we can spend the majority of our time doing design, crafting objects, and then to have these activities count as research. Other kinds of design research, like research for design and research into design, do not really necessitate doing any design. In fact, these are distinct from design work. So if you want to do design, that doesn't always count as a research activity for those. And a lot of people who come into design research are designers. They enjoy creative work. 
So they gravitate to research through design, which is a place where they can do design and at the same time obtain advanced degrees and find jobs as researchers. But the fact that you are doing design does not mean that you are doing design research. There are considerations and standards for your work to qualify as research through design. For example, the questions that you're dealing with should be uniquely answerable by doing design. These should be questions that you cannot investigate with other methods. So what you're doing has to be justified and purposeful. So when I spoke about research for design, I said that it's a common mistake to try to be too methodical and rigorous. And in research through design, the opposite is more common. The good news is that these pitfalls are actually easy to avoid. And in future episodes of Design Discipline, we will return to the subjects of research through design, artistic research, practice-based design research, and all of these other sexy topics. So again, I do recommend that you subscribe. Before we conclude, I should mention some developments since Freyling laid out these categories in 1993. For example, the idea of research through design has received a lot of love from people working with new technologies in product design, interaction design, UX and human-computer interaction. There is now an entire genre of research literature around it. And in design practice, ideas like user-centered design or lean and agile processes where rapid iteration is super important have blurred the boundaries. So these days you could be doing research for design and research through design at the same time in a process of rapid iteration, which might never end, especially in tech and software, where the product evolves constantly. The boundaries between research through design and research for design are not so clear. And on top of that, there are a lot of people today who are building tools to empower design and creativity. There are apps like Figma or Photoshop or Webflow, which are for designers. But also there are tools like Canva or Squarespace or even Word for anyone to create documents and graphics and websites. There's software like Gumroad for selling things and Notion for managing information and Behance for showcasing work. And these are not tools for doing design, but they are very important tools for a lot of designers to manage their business and to reach out to clients and customers. The people who are developing these kinds of products they invest a lot of time learning about how designers work and building prototypes and iterating to improve the product. So it's very possible to be in a situation where you don't really fit neatly into one of these categories. They can all apply at the same time even. Therefore, the point in all of this is not that you have to organize your work to strictly belong into one of these boxes. On the contrary, my point is that this kind of narrow view on design research is unproductive. What pays off is to appreciate the multitude of perspectives. But it's equally unproductive to have no structure and to accept anything as design research. While there isn't a single set of standards for design research, there are multiple options for what standards might apply. And competence in design research is about picking the correct one, being clear about the purpose of what you're doing, and to respect the standards that apply to that purpose. So if you're working on design research or discussing design research with colleagues or clients, I would recommend that you are clear on what applies. Are you doing research for design where design is the purpose and you must maintain a focus on the design itself? Are you doing research into design where design is the subject and you have to get close to designers and their work? Or are you doing research through design where design is the method and you're creating things to reveal insights about the world that surrounds your design? 
each of these three categories, as well as their intersections, extensions, exceptions, these are endless worlds in themselves. I can't possibly do justice to any of them in one episode. So in future episodes of Design Discipline, we will return to these topics. I will be having conversations with designers, researchers, leaders, and other outstanding individuals who have clever things to say about these topics. I will explain concepts and mental models like this one, based on my own scholarship and experience. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're watching this on video, and to subscribe to our podcast if you prefer audio. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Design Discipline, D-E-S-I-G-N-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N. And for the ultimate experience, visit our website and subscribe to our newsletter on designdiscipline.com. D-E-S-I-G-N-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N dot com.